Ernest, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over and start using it now. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. So I'm sitting there like, yes, sir, you got it. I'm going to take the job. So I pulls off in my car, but I wanted to double back to go by my partner and tell him, look, the jig's up <laughs> like Red Rover Niner, <laughs> the jig's up. <laughs> so by the time I get over there, SWAT cars, cops, barricades, and I pull over and I'm sitting there with a trunk full of phones and I'm going, defining moment, y'all, this defining moment. Like, I just got to pull off. My graduates from my school being Forbes, backdrop. Backdrop. <laughs> a mic drop. Backdrop. Backdrop. All right, EYL, we back home, New York City. Yeah. This is a highly anticipated episode, and it's one that I'm sure a lot of people are going to benefit from. And I love telling these stories. Uh, shout out to our guy, Jamal King. We kind of told his story, mm -hmm. which he was a, a police officer and became a millionaire while he was working on the police force and started a bunch of different businesses and made a bunch of money in real estate and the whole nine. And um, I feel like this story is kind of going to be in line with that, but it's different, obviously, because it's a different career, different path. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, it it's, has that same level of hope because most people that are watching this are working a regular job. True. And most people are, you know, that blue collar, middle class, working class, whatever you want to call it, trying to get to that millionaire status. Most people haven't actually made their millions yet. Mm -hmm. um, but the goal is to get to that point. So whenever we can highlight people that come from that 
and actually were able to do that while still actually, you know, working a regular job. I think that it's uh, not only educational, but it's extremely uh, motivational as well. Yeah. So um, Storm Leroy um, out of Brooklyn, New York, correct? Brooklyn's yes, finest, what, yeah. What, what part? Pet Star, we made Pet it. Star? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a first. So a lot of times people walk up to us and they tell us what they do in the business. And uh, we always are polite about listening, right? Because you never know what somebody's idea could just be something that's world changing. And usually it always ends with, yo, I'm going to be on the show. <laughs> and our response, my response for show is like, yo, I can't wait. The seat's going to be waiting for you. <laughs> so like, this is the first time <laughs> that I've said, yo, the seat's going to be waiting for you. And the person has arrived in the seat. So welcome, my brother. I appreciate it, man. This is, this is definitely a moment, you know what I mean? <laughs> I've really been timing this out to stay focused. Like I said, keep my head down, keep doing what I'm doing. The intent, my intent will lead to this moment. Yeah. And now it's happening, like really. And I'm it's happy crazy. to be here. Yeah, man. You're that's here. The, that's the grind, man. You're here. We met, what, about over a year ago? It was a year and eight months ago. I don't know yeah. if that was too specific. <laughs> <laughs> it's been on my calendar. <laughs> yeah, so we met at our, our brother Drew Bernard's event. Yes, sir. Uh, we've been watching you grinding. Yes, Keeping sir. Eye, you shoot me the text. I'm like, yo, we see what's going on. We see what's going on. And then we uh, ran into to each other on a plane. Yes. And I was like, this like is a perfect time. We got this event that we're doing in Atlanta. You think you want to be part of it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was that was that was a, a, a powerful moment um, because I noticed like you had got off, and then I seen you like slow down, and I'm like, oh yeah, we could take this picture together. And then you looked over, was like, yeah, you ready? I was like, yeah, I'm ready to take this picture. <laughs> nah, 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 nah. Invest fast. I literally just stopped and said, "Come on, man, stop playing." <laughs> stop playing. He's like, "No, seriously, are you ready?" I said, "Yes." Let's do this. And you're like, it's done. Let's take this picture. <laughs> I mean, that picture, if people look back at that picture on, on my timeline, I'm showing that back tooth right there. Like, it's like <laughs> super duper, you know what I mean? Yeah, so I appreciate yeah. that moment, man. Of course, I appreciate man. you for, for coming. The Mighty Mighty Invest Fest, Ooh, uh, legendary situation. Ooh. So you definitely played a part in it. Thank you for coming. But even before that, it was a viral moment where Ash Cash, shout out to my brother Ash Cash, yes. EYL Network, Inside the Vault. Your episode, this is actually a lot to live up to because I don't know how <laughs> we top that. Yeah. is on us now, right? Okay, yeah. Came out the gate with a 500,000 viewed YouTube. Ticket. Yeah, that's, I think that's, that's his biggest episode. That's actually, Definitely his biggest episode. Yeah. It's even in, on the networks. If you look at the top uploads, it's still in the top 10. Yeah, sir. Nah, it's, sir. It's, it's, I always check too. <laughs> nah, it's big, man. So, long story short, this is going to be a dope episode. Thank you for coming. Appreciate it. Appreciate being here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, all right. So, let's get into this. I want to talk about the real estate. I want to talk about entrepreneurship. I want to talk about all of that. But I want to start at the beginning. You were working at Verizon. Yes, sir. The Verizon man. People got my back like the Verizon. <laughs> yes. <man. laughs> you were. You were literally the Verizon man. Yep. So, all right. So, Can you hear me? Can you hear me? <laughs> So how did that start? How did how did this start working with Verizon? And at what point did you uh, get turned on to real estate? Uh, I started working for Verizon in 1996. 96, I was young. And but what got me into real estate was my dad. You know, my dad, he was a hard worker, always working construction. And while working construction, he would come home and he would have me take his boots off. You know, and I would take his boots off and there would be times I would run and hide from him because I literally didn't want to take his boots off. These dirty boots. <laughs> you know, it was me and my brothers and sisters, but he would always call me. So my dad who worked construction, like I mentioned, one day he gets caved in while doing a hospital in Brooklyn called Woodhall Hospital. 
So he got caved in. He was a day laborer, wasn't supposed to be there or anything. It's in the 70s. Caved in, like the walls felt like- Yeah, the walls caved in while digging a ditch. Dirt collapsed in on him. So from the, uh, like a little bit above the waist, down all the dirt collapsed in on him. So they dug him out, brought him home, and they sat him at the kitchen table. They carried him in. So I'm about seven, eight years old, sat him at the kitchen table. So he calls me back in and says, take my boots off. But now he's in agonizing pain. You know, and I could see this thing on his face. So I'm taking his boots off and he looks down at me. He says, you know, why I have you take my boots off. And I say, no, why? He says, because I don't ever want you to go through what you see me going through. Bow. Hit me. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I know he was delivering me a message. You know, I might have been young, but he understood the volume, the, the volume of giving me that at that time that he's ready. So it's stuck at that moment. But he would always walk around the house and say, don't pay anybody's mortgage. Now, we remember back in the 70s, it was redlining. No matter how much they would want to say that it didn't exist, you know, with the signing of the housing, the Fair Housing Act, I think at 65 or 68, whenever that was, it still existed. Mm -hmm. So my dad wasn't allowed to buy our home no matter how much. And we had our landlord, we never, we never seen him, but we knew he was Jewish, Brownstone and Bed-Stuy. He would have uh, another black gentleman come collect the rent. But what would never happen was repairs. The house was falling down. You know, my dad would do all the repairs. The boiler would break. He would get somebody to fix the boilers, everything. So one time, literally, our boiler broke down to the point where it couldn't be repaired. Need to put a new boiler in. So you imagine how many thousands of dollars that was. My dad couldn't afford to get that. So we literally went three years without heat and hot water. Could you imagine that? Like, I look at that now at this moment That's and go, crazy. yeah, I couldn't even imagine that. But yeah. here's something that, that really, uh, you know, put me into the moment of understanding. You don't know bad when you're in the moment of bad. Yeah. You just know family fun. It was, it was 10 of us, brothers, sisters, brownstone, three floors, enjoying ourselves. And we didn't realize that that was not normal. You know, and what made it more impactful and made it seem like it wasn't a bad thing because my house was full of so much love with my mother and father and the other kids in the neighborhood always would want to hang at my house because my parents were so free. You know, you allow friends to come over, they cook dinner and hang out. And I'd be like, yo, we don't have no heat, bro. We're here with coats on. But like, yeah, but my house is, 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 is hell on wheels. So anyway, moving forward, <clears throat> uh, going from there, I got the job at Verizon. But before that, I got my first apartment. This is when it really hit me. I got my first apartment, started paying rent, and I said, this don't feel right. Like paying someone rent while I'm paying their mortgage didn't feel right. In Brooklyn? In Brooklyn, New York. I said, man, I got to get my own place. So I got my job at Verizon. I started looking for a place back in 1995, right before I got the job. Now I was hustling doing my thing, but it wasn't drugs. I like to get that point across. <laughs> I was doing there's white- all cop- types of hustles. Yeah, there's all type of hustles. Tell, tell them the type of hustle you, know you was doing. I was, I was doing um, tech, technology hustle, you know, with cell phones and stuff like that. You know, I like to say I was a big part of free nights and weekends and eventually helping those who couldn't afford a cell phone be able to afford a cell phone now because it was very expensive. So supporting you're welcome. Yeah, supporting our people. <laughs> no doubt. You know, so during that time, I went looking at a place and it was an older gentleman who wanted to sell me two brownstones for $350,000, right? Now, those brownstones now were $4 million. Mm. But the key thing was I took two people with me that were my friends, and they didn't see the vision. 
All they saw was the problem. All they saw was the neighborhood. So they would they were saying like I had this list of a hundred reasons why I should buy it. They only had one reason why I shouldn't. And ironically, that was the one reason that was haunting me. Maybe I shouldn't buy it. So when I got there, I'm like, oh yeah, we looking at the place, and they go, man, the neighborhood's bad, bro. Man, the crack. Yo, you. I said, listen though, the rent's gonna pay for these two. Like I'm gonna be all right. I'm not gonna pay rent. I have this. So I walked away. I didn't buy those two properties. But what stuck in my mind was anytime you're doing something, you need to surround yourself with like-minded people who can see the vision of what you want to do. What you want to do. Because what you're trying to do may be, not maybe, it will be beyond what they want to do. Because you become common, you, you gain a common thread with people with your friendships based on either sports or relationship or hanging out. Now, when you go outside the norm, you make that thing about something like real estate. See, that's not their wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. You just created a new wheelhouse for you. And now they don't understand it. And all they saw was the bad thing. I didn't buy it. Big mistake. Yo. I moved on. I honestly didn't think that's how the story was going to go. I honestly thought you were going to be like, yo, I didn't listen to them. I got it. The, and then nope. I learned some mistakes. So. It almost was their fear that was being casted on you, right? 100%. What, what was, do you remember the one thing that they were saying? Like, this isn't it? Because I would feel like if I got a hundred reasons, like at a certain point, that's going to crush yours and yep. yours and they're going to see my, my point of view. Yep. So do you remember the one thing that they were like, we can't do this? Yeah, they kept saying drugs, crime, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. what made me not buy it because they were my friends. And I thought they, it's not they didn't have my best interests in mind, but we all thought alike until I developed that other sense of I wanted to do more. Mm. So if you're in a group of 10 people and nine of them are saying, yo, let's go to this party. You don't want to go. You're like, man, what the hell? I'll go. So I was in a group. It was us three. And they were like, yo, don't buy the house. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to buy it because maybe you're right. See, I wasn't equipped with all the knowledge of knowing real estate. I just know what my dad was giving me and I didn't want to pay rent. I wanted to buy it. So that's why I didn't buy it. But then it comes a part of the story where it gets interesting with the cell phones. I'm driving in my car and I get pulled over by detectives. So they pull me over and they're going, look, we, we know what you're doing because it wasn't illegal yet what we were doing with cell phones. It wasn't illegal. There was no crime. So they said, no, nah, we, we know you got this job off at Verizon. We suggest you take it. And I turned, I turned it down. I'm like, how did y'all know this? They said, well, you're going to get that letter again. And when you get it, take the job. So I'm sitting there like, yes, sir, you got it. I'm going to take the job. So I pulled off in my car, but I wanted to double back to go by my partner and tell him, look, the jig's up <laughs> like Red Rover Niner, <laughs> the jig's up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So by the time I get over there, SWAT cars, cops, barricades, and I pull over and I'm sitting there with a trunk full of phones and I'm going, Defining moment, y'all. This defining moment. Like, I just got to pull off. Hey, listen, everybody. This is your man, Steve Harvey. My partner's over at Earn Your Leisure. They are kicking off their first Invest Fest world tour on October 31st. I got my gun on me. I'm with the Achilles. I got my gang on the hump for the spinach. You say up and I've come for the finish. It will be. Get a load of this at the Royal Albert Hall in London, England. This year's speakers list include Earn Your Leisure, Terrence J, Wall Street Trapper, Eon Dunlap, My Business Development Director, Tabidi Stevens, 19 Keys, 
and many, many more. Get your tickets before they are gone at investfeshuro.com. Like, there's, there's nothing you can do. They already warned you, you here. Now, if they don't come up to this car and notice you, you cannot look back. You have to move forward with what you want to do. Ooh. I pulled off. Once I pulled off, that letter came back in the mail. Verizon is offering. Yeah, yeah, okay. They could have been offering me any position in the world. I signed, I took that job and, at Verizon from that moment. So that your friend got locked up? Yeah, he did. Yo, this for, is, for his cell phones? He got, he got locked up for that. And, and I don't you know, want to go into detail of how big it was, but I thought it was only New York that we were servicing. We were servicing like eight states. So he was, he was ahead of you. You wasn't fully aware of the whole operation. Yeah. Yes. Well, what it was, it was, nah, this is cool. You know, I was like, nah, just, just be cool and quiet and, and make it here and we good. Because okay. don't go out ruffling feathers, you know, then once you, you start expanding, now they can build things and stuff like that. So yeah, the, the expansion brought down the empire of the Carters. It just felt like the last scene and set it off. Yeah. When they watching Cleo. Exactly. And it, they had the bus like, all right, well, you can't go help her. You got to go figure this thing out now. Exactly. So once I got the job, I said to myself, um, now I'm making $400 a week. Now, so you took the job at Verizon? Took the job. Well, did I? Yeah, I took yeah. that job at Verizon. Right. So now you got to imagine, I'm going from doing like three to four or $5,000 a week to making $400 a week, but being safe. And I said, you know what? If I would have been arrested, what would my dad think? You know, he's not alive now, mm -hmm. but like everything, I would have been sitting there thinking about all those moments of taking his boots off and all those stories from behind some bars. Mm -hmm. So now I, I'm saying to myself, this is my moment to do what I have to do to make him proud and also to live out that dream that he can never do, which was real estate. So now 96, I have another friend who does real estate and he's like, listen, Storm, I'm gonna go look at these properties. Um, won't you come with me? I said, yeah, because I always wanted to get into real estate. So now come with me. So he takes me to go see a brownstone ironically, he breaks down every single thing on that list that I had back in 95. Why? And with more detail, he said, the neighborhood's going to change. This is what's going on. You see they doing the garden up there and you see they doing this. And I was like, yeah. Boom. Bought my first brownstone. Got that first brownstone for about $350,000. Incredible. Had to do some work on the brownstone. That was it. You know, I had to gut it out. You know, the homes weren't being taken care of back then. So there's water, this and that. So I gut out the brownstone get contractors, rip out the electric, all the plumbing. I'm all the plumbing. I'm standing in the basement. I'm looking all the way up. Every floor's ripped out. I'm looking up at the ceiling saying, yo, my dad would be so proud of me right now. He'll be so proud of me at this moment. But you know what I also said? Man, I never want to do this again. Because mm. I created another job for myself. I'm in there working. I'm, I'm work working. I'm saying to myself, wow. I had to take days off. I had to use my, my vacation days, my sick days, my holidays. My, and I said, yo, this ain't cool. So after I got that completed, I totally stepped away from, from real estate because I did not want another job because I already had one. And I almost lost the job that allowed me to buy the property. And this is where the whole thing in, in, in my mind led up to your job is your first business partner, period. The job is the first business partner. The job allowed me to be able to put it on the application to get the down payment to buy the property. Yep. The job allowed me to be able to pay these bills to get my credit score up to be able to put that job on the application and get the down payment again. The job allowed me the weekends off, the holidays off. So technically, me and this job are in bed together and we're partners.
He allowed me to do that. That job allowed me. So once I understood that, I said, oh, okay. Now I have to repeat the process of doing this without having to do work. That was just the tricky part of it. And one thing about real estate that people don't tell you, they give you all the, gl the, the glorious things about it, which is true. Buy real estate and, and it's going to change your life. It's going to do this. It's going to do that. But what people don't talk about, and I really want y'all to start expanding on this story, my real estate people out there. When you become a landlord, man, nobody told me. When I become a landlord, I would literally inherit every tenant as a boss. You know why? Because they can tell you, I'm not giving you no money until you do this. Even if it's not something that you're responsible for. Getting those phone calls late at night, drunk phone calls. I'm, I'm locked out. Come let me back in. Oh, I got plenty of those. <laughs> Toilets, tubs. They putting stuff in. They doing all this. And I said, I'm not knocking the landlord because it educated me on what I didn't want to do. But I know I didn't want to do that was become a landlord. So I just had to change my mindset. The mindset for me was shifting to becoming a CEO who's running a business. That was the start of it, the transition. Uh, I'll keep going, y'all. You know, yeah, I, no, no. I, so, so, all right, so you get your first property. Yeah. This is 99. No, 96 was the first property. Okay. 300,000. 300, yeah, 350,000. 350,000. You got a FHA or just traditional? Traditional, traditional, traditional. conventional. So you put loan. like 30,000 down, something like that? Yeah, I put it, yeah, about 30, a little bit over that down. All right, so you, and then you renovate it and you get that up and running. Yep. But this is why you're working at Verizon. While I'm working. So at what point do you really start to hit your stride? Like, what's the steps that you took after that? Like, was it every six months you got another property? Did you refinance the first property to get your second property? Like, what's the steps that you took to actually start building a portfolio? Great question. Great question. Um, what happened was, actually, like I said, stopped buying properties because of the landlord aspect. So I didn't get back into real estate until 2015. You know why? Because there was nobody who was investing out of state. Think about the early 90s. It was hip hop. It was Diddy. It was like we was hanging out, enjoying ourselves. And the people I did know that was doing real estate, it was all local. I had my friends that were buying properties nearby. And I said, man, I don't want to be a landlord because even when we would have the discussion, it would be those dilemmas, those dilemmas. So I said, man, I want to do something else in real estate. And my friend of mine, he introduced me to another friend of his that was investing in real estate out of state. He said, nah, I just buy properties and I collect rent. I said, you do what and do what and don't have to do what with who? He said, no, nah, I don't deal with tenants. I said, tell me more. He said, he gave me a little bit of insight, but we didn't talk too long. I said, I'm going to look myself and find out about this. So now I, I go to the school of Google. I'm looking up out of state real estate, things of that nature, 2015. Now I go to a place and I find a site called biggerpockets.com. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Bigger Pockets. Yeah, they owe me some bread too. Oh, not no shout out to Bigger Pockets. <laughs> Yo, I'm saying. We know, no shout out to that bread is free. <laughs> the check got to clear. <laughs> the check ain't clear you yet. You know? So I went on Bigger Pockets and I'm typing in all these things about out of state real estate. How does it work? And guys, excuse me, guys are really giving all the examples of how this system works, how it's built. And it's one thing that I really love about that place. They give you so much information. Real estate is this, this, this tribe. When you ask one question, everybody answers. But see, where I was going wrong with, with bigger pockets was I kept typing in questions and someone, he reached out to me and said, just type in the question in his search. Don't keep asking because somebody already asked and you look like a newbie and people know you didn't do your research. So I said, oh, okay, cool. So now I'm typing in, Where's the best place to buy out-of-state real estate? How to learn more about out-of-state real estate? Now I'm getting this thread. 
So I noticed in the thread, which is key, there are people who are talking a lot. And I said, I'm going to reach out to one of them because they seem like they want to give a lot of information out. Mm -hmm. So I asked one question to one guy. I'm thinking about getting out of say real estate. What's the best place? So he hits me right back. We're going back and forth, back and forth. He's giving me great advice. Little did he know he would become my mentor. And this is what I mean about always ask the right questions. When I first started out, my theme was ASK, always seek knowledge. It was because my goal was to ask the right question. And by asking those right questions led me to this gentleman here giving me valuable information where he knew I wasn't just asking any question. I was trying to get to a finish line. And he loved that about me, that I would take his information, do the research. So now he gives me all this information. I'm looking for properties. I'm learning how to do numbers. I'm learning everything about it because there's no system like there is today. So like the person who's listening to right now, I'm sure they're going to be like, well, what are the questions that I'm supposed to ask? So what at that point, this is 2015, obviously, the, you know, some of the things will still apply. But what are yeah. some of the questions that you're asking because you want the exact feedback? Yeah. One of the questions I asked was, what's the best place to start? with out-of-state real estate. He gave me locations. He said, here in the Midwest, you want to do this because of the good weather, the rent, the, uh, the higher rents, the lower property costs, all the things that New York didn't provide. The properties were now, at this time in 2015, 800,000, 1.2, like ridiculous numbers. Yeah. And that math doesn't work if you're trying to be an, invest, an investor and cash flow off a property that's a million dollars. Million dollar mortgage is about $10,000. The average rent is $2,000. So that's a $3,000 hole. How do you make that up? So now when you learn these numbers, you realize you need to branch out. So those were the things he was giving me. I would ask, what were the best places? What were the best tools to learn how to do numbers? What were the best books? What were, he was giving me all that information. So guys, when you're trying to get a mentor, make sure the question is how and when he gives you the how, you go do the work and then come back showing you actually did the work so he can know that he's not just wasting his time. That was crucial for me. Yeah, do your, do your research. So when did you buy your first out-of-state property and, and where, what state was it in? 2015. I bought a property that same year and it was in Indianapolis. Ernest, check this out. If you're looking to add to your podcast list, I got one you definitely need to check out. The new Audible original, Direct Deposit, what Happens When Black People Get Rich, hosted by Chad Sanders, the author of Black Magic, What Black Leaders Learn from Trauma and Triumph, and TV writer of Rap Shit. Direct Deposit explores what it takes to get rich and stay rich while black in America. For all my young black entrepreneurs, you must tap in. Direct Deposit seeks to answer the questions, what's money going to do for me? What's money going to do to me? That's quite a dilemma. Chad went from sleeping on a mattress on the floor in his cramped apartment to nearly overnight success after the legendary Spike Lee signed on to develop one of his scripts. After becoming more and more successful, Chad has realized that his bank account might change, but the struggle remains. Chad speaks to prominent black figures in American pop culture like Issa Rae, Gabrielle Union, and Soledad O'Brien. Visit audible.com slash direct deposit to listen now. I bought that property changed my life. Like a lot of people would think that buying a property a brownstone for about 350000 today, which is worth almost $2 million, will be the property that changed my life. But you have to think that was, that was 1996 buying that property. So it took over 20 years for that property to be worth what it is now. Did you, did you, you held the property? Yeah, I, I still have that property okay, now, okay, okay. right? I, I still have that property <laughs> okay. now. But during that time, then and there, people always ask, well, that property is the one that put you over the, the, the tipping point and made you a millionaire. And I would tell them, no. You know why? Because the rent doesn't equate to the value of the home. 
So when someone says, oh, grandma has a house here worth $2 million, grandma can't go get a loan out on that house because she doesn't have a way to pay for the cash out of that home. The money is in the walls. So when a, someone like, say, grandma dies and now the family wants to decide on selling the home or keeping the home, I always give the analogy of this. I'm not mad if you sell the home. Just have something to do with the money with selling the home because grandma wants that money to create a legacy. Because you have to think, if you're going to hold a home worth $2 million, collect $3,000 worth of rent, grandma, three kids are spend three, splitting $3,000 worth of rent. How far is that going to change your legacy? But if you sold a house for $2 million and now you buy more real estate, you create a trust, all those things, now grandma's smiling down going, that's why I bought that house for $30,000 for y'all to do that. Mm -hmm. So I definitely believe in selling grandma's house with a purpose because a lot of people can't pull the cash out. So me buy, buying a house in Indianapolis, it was a $40,000 house. I got a loan for that house. And, and this is another thing I like to give people advice as I go along in the conversation, if that's okay. To get a loan on a $40,000 property, I always recommend looking at local banks in the state where the property is located. So I got a loan in that state for $40,000. That was about $8,000 down. The mortgage was $250. Section 8 was paying $850. So I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm making like $600 a month off this property. So at the end of the year, it, it was a little less than 600 because I know I was making $6,000 a year from an $8,000 investment. So I'm like, man, a lot of people hear that and go, <clears throat> that's not a big amount. But the key is it isn't the amount, it's the percentage. Someone tells you you can make 80% off your money you should look at that percentage and not how much that amount is. If someone says, give me $100, I'm gonna give you $80 every year from that $100. Why not? It's 80% off the $100. So anyway, I'm making $6,000 off the $8,000 and I go, wow, I'm making my money back. You know what? I'm at work. I'm thinking this was simple. I don't have to deal with tenants. I don't have to deal with anything else. How about I buy another one and I do this again? And in formulating that, that idea and that structure, I said, if I'm making $6,000 a year and I'm making $60,000 a year at work, how many properties do I need to no longer have to come to work? 10 properties. I could do that. It's either 10 properties in 10 years or retire in 30 years. Yeah. That sounded much better. <laughs> yeah. So now once I do the math on how that works, key thing that I didn't include, and I want everybody to look at this also, I'm going to drop it. Y'all pick this up. We do not value what our tax returns can do for us. We get a tax return as we treat ourselves. I said, you know what? I got $6,000 coming in. I'm getting $7,000 for my tax return. That's $15,000. Excuse me, seven, four, no, excuse me. That's, that's $13,000. 13, yep. I just bought a property for $8,000. And now on top of that, I said, I'm going to keep $200 a month from work. So I said, yo, if I was thinking one property a year, 10 years, I can now leave. Now I have enough to buy two properties a year. I could cut that time in half. I could leave working five years about two properties a year. So now I'm really, now I'm going to work with a purpose. The biggest thing that we run into personally for myself is where we get caught up. We're not liking our job and the frustration comes in. It's because we don't see the exit sign. We get up and go, Oh man. Can't do this. I, I you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I used to get up 6:30 to have to be to work at 7. 
I needed every traffic light to always be on time. I was going to be late and ask me, did I care? I didn't care. And that's a big problem because I was now giving people with the power to fire me to actually do what they want to do most than fire me. I had to readjust that thinking. And now once that happened and I started getting up at six o'clock now to go over my plan because I know I was leaving. Now I leave the house about 620. Now I get to work and now I'm happy going, yeah, I'm going to be out of here in five years. And they couldn't figure it out. I know, I know that feeling. I know that feeling going to work. So here's the thing, though, right? You're in Brooklyn. Yes. The property's in Indiana. Uh-huh. So how, who's managing? Do, are you, at that point, having a property manager? Because I know one of the things is that you don't even see the properties. No, I've never seen You've never even before. seen the property. So how did you, <laughs> I mean, you, you're buying it, but you're not seeing it. So who's managing the property? Do you have property management at this time? Or is that like a lesson that you have to learn during this process? Well, that's the great thing about having a mentor, 100%. I have a property manager that oversees the property, right? And the key thing with this, when buying a property, sight unseen, uh, tenant not being seen, because uh, that's another thing also. I buy properties that are tenant occupied. I get it more. We're going to get there. Yeah, we're going to get there. I'm, I'm going to stay, stay in the zone. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So the property manager, the key thing about that is that's when the mindset changes. It all starts with the mindset. You can't build any type of strong structure if your foundation isn't correct. So once I have the mindset of understanding that I don't want to be a landlord anymore, I don't want to see properties, I want to delegate duties to someone because property management only wants 10%. So that means I'm making 90%. They're doing 100% of the work and I'm keeping 100% of my time. The key thing was just finding the right property management company. They place the tenants, they deal with evictions, they deal with fixing. All I had to do was concentrate on my plan, which would be allowing me to leave work in five years. So finding the right property management company is always best to do that and to expand your horizon. How will you be able to grow what you're trying to do if you're trying to do all the work? I believe that you can't be the janitor. You can't be the electrician. You can't be the plumber and you can't be the CEO if you want to take your company to the next level, because all you have to do is look from the seat of a CEO, an actual company, understand his value comes in by delegating duties and overseeing the mission. And his mission is to grow the company by having assets that are making money. And that's where I get into buying my assets that are tenant occupied. All right. So we got, let me get these states right. And if I miss one, forgive me. Okay. No doubt. Cause I didn't even have Indiana. I got Alabama. I got Wisconsin, city of Milwaukee. We got Georgia, Florida, Ohio. Yes. Did I miss any? Um, Indiana, Ohio. I think that's it. I'm going to be honest. The, the place, the location doesn't matter to me, right? Because right. the entire United States is my marketplace. Right. So I don't get caught up where it's at. I only get caught up in what that asset is making. Well, I'll bring up the states because I'm, I'm trying to figure out, is the property manager handling all those properties? There we go. Um, no, you have a property manager for each state. Excuse each me state. for that. Oh, see, that's yeah. what I was going with. Yeah. You need a property management for each state. And the key thing is... You become a property manager. We, we can touch that topic later. Um, you become the property manager, but you have a property management company for each state to run those properties. Gotcha. So um, how did you find, how did you find your first property and how do you find property? If you're not actually physically going to these locations, yep. how do you find these properties? Man, you guys come with good questions. <laughs> Let them roll out. Let them roll. We've been how going. do I find properties? The key thing for me is the place uh, is simple sites like Realtor, Zillow, Trulia, Craigslist. Facebook groups, all those places you're looking for properties. 
Now, there's this thing where there's a shortage of houses, there's a shortage of properties, there's a shortage. And the reason why there isn't a shortage in my space, because I'm not looking to buy a property as a homeowner. Biggest amount of people who are looking for homes are homeowners. The next group are people who want to find distressed properties that they can add value and do work to it. But when I search for properties, I go into the search bar and I search for tenant-occupied properties, Section 8 properties. How many people are searching that? Very few. So I have a whole litany of properties that are just there for me because the mindset is I'm looking for a home to place a tenant. I'm looking for a home to place a tenant. But if you think for me as a CEO where I'm looking to buy an asset that's making money. So I'm Mm -hmm. looking for businesses. It just so happened those businesses are properties. And the tenants are in those. So I look for properties that are Section 8, preferably Section 8. And the reason why is because government's never laid on rent. Government's never laid on rent. During COVID, when I first was doing this structure, a lot of people would say, man, I don't want to deal with Section 8 properties, man. They do this, they do that. But I tell them that in these other states where people are not on top of each other and, and things of that nature, it's more of a laid back. You know, it's not like you have to come home, the elevator's broke, you're walking up the steps, 30 houses, everybody's on top of each other. No, these people going to work, they they may need assistance, they may not need assistance, but they're taking care of those properties. So that's a moneymaker for me. And when I was buying those, people really, like I said, was looking at it as a negative. But when COVID hit, and a lot of my investor friends were not getting rent, and we would have these discussions, and they would say, Storm, how you doing? Go, I can't relate to y'all. Like, I, I can't because I'm still getting $15,000 a month in rent continuously. So Section 8, I know VA is something that you spoke about, and uh, long-term residence. Yes, yes. Talk, talk about the importance of that, right? Because, I, I mean, one of the things, I, and I heard, in, uh, heard you speak about it was rent rolls. I haven't heard people really talk about rent rolls, but now when you think about it, right, that's the proven method, Bing. right? We're, we're seeing people paying. This is, they're, they're productive. They haven't been late. How important that is, because I think that's a step that I don't think I've heard anybody really talk about when we talk about real estate. Earners, what's going on? As you gear up for fall, you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. When we're looking for a sound engineer, a graphic designer, or an editor, LinkedIn Jobs is the first place we go. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add your job in the purple hiring hashtag frame on your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash EYL. That's linkedin.com slash EYL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yes, sir. And I'll take credit for that. Don't don't worry. I'm going to pick that up. I'll take that definitely. 100% because like I said, it's like buying a company. So if I'm looking for a long-term tenant, preferably they've been living there over a year and a half. And then I request a rent roll. A rent roll strictly states and shows how long they've been paying rent and if it's been on time or if it's been late. 
So if I'm looking at this asset and somebody says, here's the, here's the payment structure from this asset, they've never defaulted on a payment for an entire year and a half. Why am I not going to buy it? If I buy it, what are they going to stop making payments? So now I'm like, yeah, I'm buying that company. I'm buying that asset because the money has been proven. It also proves another thing. Either they work city, state, federal government jobs, and they weren't impacted by COVID. Whatever job they have is needed. So I really want that tenant. And I give this example to a lot of my mentees that I teach. I say, if you want to buy a property, I have this nice, shiny object, brand new, renovated property. You can get $1,500 in rent. You just got to go put a tenant in there. Or there's this other property. Somebody's been living in there. They've been paying $1,000 a month. The property is doing well. They've never been late for two years. Which one would you want? You would go find the tenant. Now you may lose one month of rent, two months of rent till you find a new tenant in there. Then you get a tenant. You don't really know the history. You don't really know if their job could withstand a COVID situation or a downturn or someone who's been proven that you got $12,000 coming every single year with a mortgage of about $500. Which one you want? I'm taking the latter. The rent roll is very important. I remember Matt, we brought a property with Matt and uh, he was talking about that he wanted to check that out to see the rent um, history. Yeah. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people are talking enough about because that's kind of is going to give you a window of what you're getting. Yep. You could be buying a property and the person has to pay rent for two years, <laughs> <Good luck. laughs> especially if a state like New York, where you really can't even kick people out. It might take two years to kick a tenant out. So you got to know what you're getting yourself into. And like you said, that'll show even if they're late, if they're late every single month, that's a habit. Yep. Like, you know what I'm saying? like that's a red flag. Exactly. So three late payments in a year. You see these things. Yep. It's like the same way on a credit report, right? Like if they see three late payments of any payment on a, your credit history, now you're not as trustworthy. And so if you look at it from that mindset, it makes more sense. Like, wait, I'm not going to get this asset. They're not credit worthy. Exactly. Or they're not even worthy to be purchased. But how do you know the, how you know the landlord is giving you uh, accurate information? That's another one. Great question, because I get that a lot. I'm serious. People say, Yo, how do you know you're getting the right information? I only buy properties that have property managements attached to them. Any mom and pop properties, and I'm asking for the rent roll, which I very rarely would buy one from a mom and pop because they don't have a, a uh, system to keep track of that accurately. So they would have to rely on giving you bank statements. And then I tell people the bank statements of what they're giving you, they're going to be late payments in there. And what they're going to say a lot of times is, oh, I got the check and I didn't have time to deposit. So now you're taking the word of someone who's trying to sell a property to you. That's a problem. Yeah, so that, that's a lot, right? So that I'm, I'm trying to draw the team up in my head. Mm -hmm. Property management is one, but you're yep. not there. So I wonder how important, and if this is a part of the team, roles like somebody who's doing the appraisal process for you mm -hmm. or somebody that's doing inspection for you. Yep. Like are these, are these roles that's part of the team? Because if it's out of state and I'm not there, I kind of got to rely on these people. Oh yeah. Right. Yep. So is this part of the team? Yes. His, his, I call it the money team, right? <laughs> this is my money team. Now when you find that first property, the first thing you're going to do, you got to get you a realtor. Cause even when you find a property, you use the tech, the methods that I use, you can't put the offer in yourself. You need a realtor to put the offer in for you. So my thing is I tell people, get you a realtor through Realtor, Zillow, whatever. <clears throat> and if that property isn't available, what you do is you let the realtor know that, hey, I'm an out-of-state investor who's only interested in tenant-occupied properties. If something comes up, send them directly to me. And the reason why you, they would love to send that to you is because they don't want to split the commission. If, if, if you're a realtor and you get a property and you can sell it, but you go, it would sell faster on realtor. I just need to split my commission with them. 
But you said, oh, man, I, I got Storm over here. He likes tenant occupied. You're going to call me so I can buy it. You're just going to give me the, the information. So it's important to build that relationship with the realtor. Now, after the realtor, you sign a purchase agreement. You put in certain contingencies when you're buying these properties. The contingencies are you want the rent roll. You want the leases. If it's Section 8, you want the Section 8 certification. And the reason why I like to buy properties that are Section 8 already tenants, tenants in there already is because you're inheriting the certification. People, when you buy property and now you go downtown and you, now you got to file for Section 8, you got to wait for an inspection, that take months. Those mortgage payments are kicking in. But when you buy a property and someone who's Section 8 lives there already, they're just signing over certification to you. You're a Section 8 landlord now. Mm. So now when that person moves out, guess what? You can put another Section 8 tenant in there. And if it's a duplex, triplex, or a quad, guess what? You're a Section 8 landlord. You don't have to go downtown. You don't have to do the paperwork. You're inheriting everything that comes with the Section 8 property. So that's why, that's another thing why I stay away from vacancies and trying to do Section 8. That takes time. So now once I get that, I get my realtor. Now I get um, the inspector. The realtor is so crucial with referrals. See, this is all on relationships. The realtor is going to recommend an inspector to go inspect, do the inspection and make sure the property is in good shape. Even though you're buying a property with tenant in it, tenants inside the property, I always send, I'm going to drop this now, y'all make sure y'all pick this up. It's crucial. Very important. Make sure you send your property manager with your inspector. The reason why is because the inspector is going to inspect the property. The property manager is going to inspect the tenants. He's going to make sure the tenants are not tearing the house up. He's going to make sure the tenants are keeping the place clean. He's going to do all of those things because he doesn't want to now work with a property where he's know he's going to have to keep coming back here over and over again. <laughs> so now think about that. I got the realtor hook me up with the inspector. The inspector can also tell me key things like, oh, this area is coming up. A lot of investors are coming in. Bing, I'm buying more properties. The inspector could tell me, a lot of inspectors are running. I'm not going to buy properties. The inspector can tell me, oh, they're talking about opening up a Walmart. That's crucial. When I bought 15 properties in Birmingham, Alabama, the main reason was because on biggerpockets.com, we got the word that there was a Walmart, I mean, an Amazon, uh, Amazon warehouse coming before the news. That's what a community does. That's what inspectors, the information that's on the street. So what we did, boop, all of us were just buying, 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 buying. So that's another part of the team. So now you also get yourself a, a handyman or a contracting company. You're not getting them to do fix and flips, right? You're just getting them because when you have a property management, they will sometimes outsource repairs. So you want to be able to compare the price with somebody you have just in case you need someone that can get the work done. Mm -hmm. But you want to also remember everything I'm talking about is thinking on a level of delegating duties and becoming a CEO and now being able to expand your company and building out your money team. And here's the part about your money team. Nobody's on salary. Everybody's working for you literally and you're not paying them. And now you're expanding that relationships and you're the go to guy because you're showing them you have a structure that works and they know you're doing good business. That's that's part of the team right there. So do, do you use banks money? How's the financing for this? Uh, what I do with funding, I don't do banks. It's all commercial lending, hard money, LLCs. And the reason why is because I started out with banks. Banks are great up to a point. But banks are designed to make you a homeowner and not an investor. There's this thing called the golden tickets where you can get 10 mortgages with a bank. 
but that's very hard to achieve. My mentor was like, yeah, man, I got 10 mortgages. He said, but I'm not, I'm going to tell you never to try to do that. Cause when you're trying to get extra mortgages and now you have to show them all these other properties, you know what they're going to want? They're going to want all the leases. They're going to want all the rent rolls. They're going to want to see your W-2s. Mm-hmm. They're going to want to see your pay stubs. And by all that time, you could lose the property. Or by that time, the property is not worth getting. So now, and by that time, they could say, well, the appraisal, things are not meeting where we want. That's time lost. So with hard money, though, especially now in these times, interest rates are just comparable. And for those that say, well, hard money always give you higher rates in shorter times and shorter terms. That's not true. You have hard money at commercial lenders that do 30 year loans that are very comparable with banks at 7 percent interest. So I use hard money all day because all they care about is that the asset has equity and it's not underwater. That's it. They don't want to see nothing else. You got your LLC. You got the property that's worth value. The property appraised right. Now I could keep doing that over and over again. So I use that hard yeah. money. Commercial. Let's, let's talk about LLCs because I've heard and we've had people say like, hey, every time you get a property, you should make a new LLC for the property. Uh-huh. Your method is a little bit different than that. Should have smile, right? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that smile before. Can you break down how you formulate or construct your LLCs? Yes. Uh, normally with the process when I first saw I was getting one LLC for one property, get another LLC for one property, but then I was getting a larger property and the problem was I didn't have history on the LLC to want to get a million dollar loan. Right. And and like, we're getting LLCs so that we protect ourselves, right? If, 100%. Right. So I want to make sure everybody's clear. Right? If I get a property, somebody tries to sue me personally, yep. they can't take my property because it's an LLC. Yes. Okay. That's the main purpose of getting the LLC. Got you. Right. But what I said was, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy all my properties moving forward in one LLC. Why? Because I want to build up the credit history of this one LLC. So now when I say I need a million dollar loan and I showed them the LLC, they go, okay, he has a million dollar loans worth of loans now. It's never missed the payment. You can have whatever you want. But now, just like, just like you mentioned, how does that help with um, protecting yourself? So now that's when I create a holding LLC. The holding LLC main purpose is to protect the property and protect the first LLC which now I will call an acquisition LLC because it's buying properties. So you buy the property in the first LLC, which the acquisition, then you transfer that property into the holding LLC, preferably into an anonymity state. Simple. It's going to sound complicated. Stay with me. Very simple. Now we hear about holding LLCs in movies all the time. Oh, he's, he, he purchased this in his LLC. He's hiding this in a holding LLC. The reason why is because of the power of the anonymity. Anonymity states LLCs. You can get an LLC in any, any state, mm-hmm. but the anonymity states to make this work properly is New Mexico, Nevada, uh, Delaware, Delaware, Wyoming. Wyoming. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So now once you transfer that property into the holding LLC, if somebody was to slip and fall and try to sue that LLC, remember, it's no longer in the acquisition. So your mortgage is cool. That loan is cool. You can buy more. But if somebody was to fall and now that property is in a holding LLC, you're protected. Your, your mortgage isn't attached to it. So they cannot sue you. But what you know what makes it even more sweet? And this is the part we have to look at. When the LLC is in an anonymity state and a, compared to when it's not in an anonymity state, if someone sues your LLC and it's in, let's say, New Jersey, they say, we can't sue him. So we're just going to settle for whatever we can get. But let's look in Google and see who owns that LLC. 
oh man, Troy, he owns this LLC. That's a civil lawsuit all day. People have been sued who owned LLCs through civil lawsuits because your name is exposed and now they know what you own. Why do they call it a holding LLC? Why do they use anonymity states? Specifically because of this reason. We just haven't taken on to dig, do a little deep diving into that. So now it's protected in a holding LLC. But now here's another thing. Well, you're collecting rent. Where's the rent going? Now you have another LLC for property management because you become a property manager. The rent's going to the property management LLC. And the main reason, because if you were to collect rent in the same LLC as the property and somebody slips and fall, they freeze all the assets. That includes the bank accounts. That includes your money. So now you have a property management, a property management LLC in the state you live in because you're going to be doing taxes, collecting that money. So now if you have properties out of state, they're going to pay you in your property management LLC and you will not have to pay. Let me slow down on this part. You will not pay property property taxes in those other states because your property management company is collecting the money and they're now wiring you the money in your state. The only taxes you have to pay is a business privilege tax. So if you're making thousands of dollars in that other state, you just pay a business privilege tax for doing business in that state which is normally $300, $400. So, all right, let me ask you this. Um, I heard you talk about living trust and how that changed your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk about that? Yeah, in 2019, my life changed. Buying real estate, doing all these great things. I understood the value of having uh, real estate and wanting to, to hand it over to my legacy, to create a legacy with that. But once I actually went to create a living trust and I saw what it can do, that's when I knew I had a bigger narrative I needed to share with the people. So my thing was, I looked at who created a living trust to hand it down through their legacy. And I said, it's Rockefeller. So I went on to read the Rockefeller Trust from 1934. And also there's a, a, a book called What Would Rockefeller Do? So I stayed up reading all these things about how he would take this, put it in a, an account and only give a portion to the legacy and then have his children create a trust. And now that money compound interest, he wouldn't give it to them until they turn a certain age. And I'm like, I could do that. We can do that. The information was right there. So I sat down with my trust attorney. I said, I want to do that. Like, well, you want to do it, but I want to do that. It can be done. So we structured it, worked it out where. If uh, not if, but unfortunately, we all pass away. When I pass away, a percentage of my properties would be sold, not the ones that I hold long term. Like I have properties I do keep my short term properties. Those would be sold. That money would now go into a brokerage account. That brokerage account would be in the name of the trust. That money for that specific account would be for my grandchildren starting off, not my immediate family. My immediate family would get my life insurance policies, which millions of dollars policies Mm -hmm. and the main properties that I hold. So they're taken care of. But we need to start thinking about the grandkids, the great grandkids, those generations. How do you start their growth? You start their growth by putting that money in a brokerage account and they don't get that money until they turn 21 years old. So let's use the example of a million dollars. I put a million dollars in a brokerage account for my grandkids. They don't get that until they turn 21, gaining 6% interest. 6% 6% interest, they say that's 21, so that money turns into about $3.8 million for my grandkids. My grandkids, they wouldn't get it all. They would get half, about 1.6. So I leave 1.6 in there for my great-grandchildren for 21 years. 
That now turns into about three, four, five, six. That turns into about $6.7 million for my great-grandchildren. They don't get it all. They get half. So now that's about one point, one, no, about 2.3, 2.3 stays in for my great-great-grandchildren. So they get about $8.1 million. You see how that happens? That's compound interest over 21 years. So we have to look at that number. But what makes the trigger and the explosion even bigger is the fact that what Rockefeller did is that was just his trust. What he did was now each children opened up, each child opened up a trust. So now his children had a trust. So he would pay his grandchildren and his children would pay them. That's twice. So now his grand, his children, then his grandchildren have a trust. So his great grandchildren would get paid three times. So now if we look at Rockefeller Trust paid out now 11 generations and counting continuously. And what he also did was have a life insurance policy on every person in the trust creating his own bank. And now what does that do? This is my structure also. Any one of my children or grandchildren who want to start a business, what do they do? Talk to the trustees. And now you borrow money. We become our own bank. So when someone dies, that money goes into the trust. You pay when you get the policy, you pay it outright. So now that money is available in the trust. So now also what I did was I retweaked my trust last year and it was 21 that I wouldn't give them money. I changed it. I changed it where they get money at 18 and they can have a business started at 11. You know why? Because now with technology, kids are now figuring out new ways to start a business. So I want them to be able to present a business loan, a business proposal to the trustees so they could borrow money. These are the things where we don't look at them. When people say, I don't have the money to do this, you know what I tell them? Yes, you do. The air you breathe is money. A life insurance policy. Soon as you die, you worth money. There are generations and there are groups of people. When people die, their objective is to make sure they have a policy on their grandmother, policy on their father to do exactly what we're talking about. But we look at it as taboo. When it can't be taboo, it shouldn't be taboo. The main thing about it is you're thinking about the legacy. And when I tell people, when I speak to you, I'm not speaking to you. I'm speaking to your legacy. You're just a vessel for me to get the message to you so you can hear the message and see it. And it reverberates in your brain. And as it's doing this, you literally are talking to your legacy while I'm speaking, going, I got you. Don't worry. Storm told me how to do it now. I'm going to give me a life insurance policy. When people have a life insurance policy, let's say roughly $4 million. You have half a million dollars left on your home mortgage and you say to yourself, I'm leaving my family a million dollar. Actually, you're not. Because when you die, that policy has to pay half a million to the mortgage so they can stay in the house. You're only leaving them half a million dollars. We don't think about that mortgage behind us. So this is where I say, get yourself a whole life. uh, Excuse me. Get yourself a term that's for a half a million or a million dollars just to cover the house. So your real policy doesn't get broken up. And now you have that term, pay off the mortgage, any money left, put it in a brokerage account, and now you start the system. So let's stay on this conversation about the trust for a minute. Um, so it's an irrevocable life insurance trust or a revocable life insurance? You start insurance? off as a revocable, revocable because you want to be able to so sell because the property. You, and you can change it. Yes, 100%. So you can, all right. So, all right. So who set this up for you? Your attorney? Yeah, my estate plan. You told them or they educated, you educated them or they educated you? Obviously, they're already educated because they're an yeah. attorney. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like you kind of already had some idea of what you wanted to do because you, you did some reading before that. Yeah. So what was the process? You kind of said, this is what I want to do. And then they kind of added to it or they said, this is what you should do. Um, I came to them with my plan and my structure first. And, and I really wasn't taking no for an answer because I know it could be done. And there are some people that 
uh, like there are mechanics who cars are broke. Like they just don't know fully how to do certain things. So you really have to find the right person that does these things. And I would always say, speak to someone who has a trust. Speak to someone who you know they can refer you to someone. But that takes time. But they would give me little tidbits of, well, we can do this. Or they have a network of people and a law firm and they reach out to them. Like my first trust cost me about $12,000. My newest one cost me roughly almost $20,000 because I have a lot of things to fund it with. But a starting out trust probably run you anywhere from three to $6,000, but you have to look at the big picture. But I started out having a plan and I really, really was adamant about getting this structure done. That was it for me. You have a will too? Yeah, with the trust, there's a thing called a pour over will that's attached to the trust. For all the items that you don't put into the trust, it automatically pours over and fall into the will, uh, like jewelry, like things that are heirlooms, it'll automatically go in that will. Yeah, I'm sitting there thinking, obviously you were educated. How often are you meeting with the trust attorney? Because I was having a conversation with a young lady the other day and she's finding it hard to have her parents, you know, even buy into the idea of a trust. So how often did you meet with family, if you did at all, and how often did you meet with the trust attorney? Is that like a once a year thing or is it every six months? Because I'm sure you're acquiring properties and other assets throughout the year. Like how often is, is that happening? Uh, in the beginning, when I started, we had to have a conversation. Literally, it was about almost every other week, sometimes every week to uh, plan us out with insurance and all that stuff. Very complicated. But once it was set, the updating of the trust is every three years. Right. Okay. But if there's something of urgency that I need to update, because here's the thing. And I want to throw this part also. I'm going to drop it. Y'all pick this up. When you're buying things in your holding company, your holding LLC should be in the name of your trust. So if something happens to you, the properties automatically fall into the trust. Automatically fall in there. So you don't have to fund the trust because the trust own the LLC. So if, let me give a, a quick example. You know how you put your name on every single LLC? You open up an LLC, you put your name on it. You open up your LLC, you put your name on it. But if you was to have the property, 123 Smith Street in its own LLC, the name on that LLC would not be you. It would be your trust. So if something ever happens, it automatically goes to the trust because you signed the trust over as the owner. Does that make sense? Yes. Automatically. So with trinkle effect. So with that being said, excuse me. So with that being said, you wouldn't have to fund one at a time. You could just have that trust on all these LLCs, buy straight in from your holding. But uh, also, to, let me not glaze over something you said. It's so important to have the conversation with your family and sit them down and explain because my thing was after everything's said and done, my lawyer, we would have the conversation with each one of them. Here's who's getting this. Who's the trust? There's the trustee. This is what's going to happen. This is what it's supposed to be. I want you to do this. And it's a thing I call a letter of trust handwritten. I want this copy of this letter in my handwritten form and my signature be copied for every generation, every trustee, so they can look and go, he thought about me. I want them to see what I meant and why I did this because that's powerful. And they will get it and go, man, my great-great-grandfather thought about me. So that letter, you don't have to, but the thing is always impact. So you need to have that discussion with your kids, your grandkids. There's only so far trust can go. It only could go to the last 
person alive in your generation up to a certain age. So like if I have my, my grandchildren, my last one or my, he would have to now take the trust format and restart it again and follow the same thing. Yeah. Trust can't live on in infamy. So you've created the generational wealth mm-hmm. and the other part was just the sustainable wealth. Yep. Like that's the key, right? Because it could get mixed up from generation to generation. Yeah. But what you're doing is pretty much putting up the barriers like, no, we're going to sustain this forever. Forever. <laughs> the biggest, biggest mistake that a lot of people make, unfortunately, when we have real estate is thinking that our children want to be landlords. We can't. We can't assume that they want to be landlords. I had a, a, a friend of mine who I knew through someone else. He died, didn't have a trust, left the properties to his, to his kids in a will. They sold them because they didn't want nothing to do with real estate. That's, that destroyed me because I knew what his objective was. So we need to put things in place to go, okay, if you don't want to be a landlord, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to have a company do this or we're going to sell it, put the properties in the brokerage account where it's gaining compound interest to do something. So that's the key. We need to stop, you know, really projecting our, our, our wants and needs on children and grandkids when they're like, yeah, I got my own plan. That's key. Yeah, that's key. Can you give a financial breakdown on how you was able to replace your salary? Yeah, um, real quick. The financial breakdown structure for me was I brought that one property was making that uh, 6000 a year. And then after making that 6000 a year, I said, I'm going to keep doing this. But I took the tax returns and that money equated. But what triggered it was creating group economics partnerships. We need to understand the value of creating partners and how fast you can grow your portfolio with properties, with uh, partners. People say I have a hundred doors, right? They don't have a hundred doors by themselves. They have like 10 partners, which is great because they're expanding their money. Why would you take $1 million to buy one property? If you could take $1 million and spread that across five properties, that's five buildings growing equity. That's five different properties you're writing off on taxes. That's a whole nother scenario having writing off taxes. When you have a property management LLC, you're able to write off a portion of your light, gas, car, you need the mileage. There's apps like Avalanche, cell phone. Like we don't take advantage of that portion of the business because we go, no, I'm just going to pay my tax. When the wealthy is really maneuvering through the proper structure of taxes because providing housing and jobs is the biggest thing that the government gives you is a tax break and we don't take advantage. Mm -hmm. We should. Take advantage of those taxes. I make a good amount of money on my taxes because of having a property management LLC and a home office. A certain amount of your home, you use it as an office, square footage, the computer you buy, write-off. Desks, printers, everything I mentioned, it's a write-off. But we don't take advantage of that. Even, at the, on, on, even in the inception of having a business, you're taking a loss you have a credit card, you don't have a business account yet, you can still write a portion of that off until you get a business account with an EIN and a business credit card because you need it to start your business. See, these are the things where we need to have that discussion and go, oh, it's, that's dope, that's dope. But unfortunately, a lot of things, times that what happens is we tend to compare how you're making money and I'm making money and say you're doing it wrong. And that's not true. There's so many different ways of making money, especially in real estate. Be like, oh, that's dope. I'm not doing it that way, but here's how I do it. Oh, word. I got somebody who will like your way of doing it. And now the story gets bigger and bigger, collaborating like how you two guys collaborated. It's beautiful. Look at the growth of that. I collaborated with my guys, Ash and Marvin Mitchell. 
for Path of Prosperity, collaboration. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to touch thousands of people. So, yeah, I know I took it to another place for Shah Farty. Nah, that's all good. <laughs> yeah. all he, good. You, you talked about partnerships, but there's something, even when we started this episode, about being in the right place all the time. Yes. And so being in that room with Drew Bernard, you got introduced to us. Yeah. Ash was there too, and you knew him, and he was like, yo, this is my guy. Right, we we went to him 500's event. We were together there. Yeah, can you talk about being in the right place all the time? Because I feel like you're you're one of those people who really pers personify that, right? Like I'm always seeing you everywhere, and I'm like I'm watching you. And you text me like, "Yo, is it my time?" I'm like, "Yo, bro, we watching. We see what's going on." Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's it's so important to invest in yourself and be in the right room. Like that's you cannot gain that just being around the same people. And that really was self-explanatory with my two friends when I went to go see that Browns home. Like me being in that room, being in this room that where I can talk to other people, I can network, people can feel my energy. You guys get to see the real me besides just watching a post. People get to find out that, oh, you actually investing in your growth. You actually doing something. Like this thing that's inside of me, this can't really come through a, a camera and a post the way that I want it to because I'm passionate about this. But then when I talk, talk to you guys, sometimes it's a little too much of the passion. <laughs> but you know what? It's like, this is all I have because really talking to my people and trying to change our lives. I know my purpose of being here is to be in the right room and change lives. And I, and I can't do that through that screen. I need for you to be able to hear me and see me and, and through these interviews and stuff like that and go, he just said something that motivate me and, and did something. So for those of you that think like me and you feel like me, we're not going to get that if you're in that room. We need you to come out, be around like-minded people, invest in yourself, pay for those mentorships, pay to go to these places, fly to New York, fly to LA, fly to Miami, let people see you. Be, be, be very active in comments, commenting, posting, talking. Like when you're doing that, People notice. I started with one person online going live. I started teaching four people on a Zoom. Now, staying consistent. So I highly recommend you guys do that. When, when did you, when were you able to quit your job? Um, I quit my job literally in 2015. I said five years. And in 2020, I was ready to quit my job. I was well, able to leave my well, job. You didn't quit his job. He fired his job. <laughs> you, know, they, you know what I mean? They couldn't afford him anymore. So <laughs> how, many, how many properties did that? take you to be able to do that? Well, when I, I was able to leave in 2020, I stayed one more year. And the reason why, because I was getting all my medical benefits. Mm. I wasn't going to leave with all, with giving y'all them years and leave that medical behind. So I stayed till 2021 and I got all my properties. I mean, excuse me, I got all my medical benefits. Um, I left my job owning 24 properties and I was doing about 15,000 a month at that time. And I'm currently, well, I'm selling now, downgrading some of the properties to do bigger deals, but I bought over 36 properties around the United States that I've never seen to this day. And I don't plan on seeing them ever, none of them. So the medical was the number one thing? Because a lot of times it's usually like a financial goal. Like I remember being in the education system and I'm like, if I could just reach this goal, I'm out of here. Then you reach the goal and you said- You said another one. You said another one. And you yeah. said another one. So it's like, well, this doesn't make sense. Right. Was it just the medical or was there a financial- yeah aspect too that was like if I hit this number then Verizon peace. it rocks <laughs> no 100% it was the medical okay like once the medical kicked in I left I could have stayed five more years for a full pension I didn't get a full pension right so I, and I was doing about $100,000 a year so I left with five years left so I left half a million dollars on the table not including overtime 
Like in Verizon overtime, you can make a quarter million dollars a year. Mm. Easy. 300, like in overtime. But I left that money and then I left the extra pension money. So I left almost a million dollars, but it would have took me uh, five, five more years when I can make a million dollars in a month or a day or two days or three days, depending on up to me. So, but I wanted the medical because there's like medical has bankrupt people. Yeah. Medical, you get sick, wife gets sick, kids get sick, somebody gets sick, you can lose it all. So the goal was to get the medical and the thought process of how important it is to be around the right people. Like I'll never forget, I went in on Instagram live the day I was leaving the job. I said, look, I'm driving in. I'm like, yo, this is it. I'm leaving the job, y'all. Like, I can't believe this moment. You know, I, I spoke about it, brought it to us. Y'all could do the same thing. And, you know, and I went in, I had ASK hat, shirt, and people were like, yo, you coming back to work? <laughs> I said, oh, y'all think I'm coming back like this? So no, I'm out of here. And the mindset was, the mindset was scary because it was like, yo, you really should stay, yo, them, yo, five more years, man. Yo, five more years, you could get a full pension. I said, yo, God bless you, man. <laughs> yeah, they, well, they don't get God it. Bless you. Some people would never get it. Yeah. There's Indians, there's chiefs, there's buyers, there's sellers, there's owners, and there's renters. That's how it's meant to be. Life is definitely going to be like that. You can't save everyone. Like us trying to save someone, that's a problem because some, not all lives are meant to be saved. Some lives were meant to be examples of what you should never do in life. Some people's lives were meant to crash and burn to be an example for 20 other people to go, I don't ever want to be like him. That was their destiny. But when you run around, you're trying to save people's lives. Now you're stopping yourself from growing to your full potential because you're trying to be a lifesaver. So you'll never reach your potential. So now that's two groups of people caught in the mix. You have people like us where we can go, we can look and go, well, I know my purpose of what I'm supposed to do. That destiny has already been spoken for them and mine has been chosen for me. So I don't think about trying to change somebody's mind when it's already been set in stone. Let people come to me and then I know they're ready to absorb the message. Mm. 30, 36 properties. Um, out of state has always been your thing. But originally it was because just the pricing of being in New York. Yes. But we're looking at bigger deals. Are those bigger deals still going to be out of state? Or are we looking like, all right, we're at a point where we could probably do something major here in New York? Yeah, I would never buy property in New York. I would never buy property in LA. I would never do something like that. Like I would buy properties and like now I'm doing, looking to do syndication deals for 100 units, 200 units, three, four, five million dollars, stuff like that. But those are not buying holes. Those are things that we're buying for 100 units that we can add value to by doing upgrades, raising the rent, uh, laundry rooms, play break, things like that. And then as a, the syndication, we would sell the deal, sell that property in five years and everybody walks away with their money. But I would never do an individual deal with a brownstone of buying something for three to $4 million or $7 million because like I mentioned, a million dollar mortgage is $10,000. You would never make that rent back. So then there's other plays that you would have to do. And those plays are very risky play because you're relying on the banking system to stay the way it is when you're doing these kind of renovations and things of that nature. And now I have people that have been doing fix and flips and it's not really working out for them where the money's not coming in. Uh, banks are not allowing you to get that 80%, 70%, 75% when you flip. You'd be like, oh, I'm gonna pull this much money out. Nah. It's not working like that no more. But so my structure of guaranteed income, that's solid. That's for somebody who's going to work every day that goes, I don't have to see a property. I don't have to do nothing. I got $8,000. Storm did with $8,000. I got a 401k sitting with $100,000. I know I can do it. I have people in my mentorships. I have people that are doing it to this day, changing their lives one property at a time because the goal is to replace your salary. 
So speaking about your mentorship, when did you, when did you get into the education space? When did you start actually you know, teaching people what you yeah. do? I actually started um, when I first went online. Like the goal was to, to teach people. You know, when, when uh, George Floyd situation happened, um, I knew real estate was it. And I wanted to educate people. So I turned on my phone, Instagram Live, and, and I was most awkward thing in the world. I was looking away and I just, lens all foggy. And I said, I want to teach four people how to buy real estate out of state. Send me a message. I looked at my DM. There was like six people. So I start teaching them four, teaching them six first for the whole month, how to invest out of state, how to do this. And I start videotaping. I start talking about it online, showing a class. And people were like excited. I started getting more messages. But I said, you know what? I'm only going to do four people every month. That was like October. November came. I was taught those four people. And by December, showing, you know, all the people who were in the class posting and talking about out of state and this and that. It got so excited. I look, I had 10 people, 12 people signing up, but I was committed to doing four. And I said, there was one young lady who called me New Year's Eve. I never forget this. She called. She literally was almost in tears. She says, Storm, I don't want to come into the New Year's doing the same thing I'm doing. I know what you're teaching could change my life. How can I pay to move up? How can I be in this next class you're going to teach for the New Year's? Because she was scheduled for, for March. She said, I can't wait. And I said, yo, you're doing a disservice. That's when I reached out to Ash and I said, bro, how, how can I do this thing on a bigger scale? And he looked and he said, first thing you got to do is stop teaching live. He said, you got enough material to turn it into a course. I said, a course? He said, yes, all those videos you got, let's get on a call. Let's get on a Zoom. He showed me how to do it. Boom. Then I said, oh, I could teach more people. I can do the course. I can give that. But from the beginning, I wanted to, to give people the knowledge to be able to change their life. So now you have a mentorship. Yep. So talk about them. What does that mentorship include? Uh, the mentorship includes you getting all core, everything I talk about. I have three courses. So I give you one that's mastering out-of-state investing. That gives you soup the nuts, how to invest out-of-state. Then another one called the three must-have LLCs, where I give you the complete breakdown of everything with the LLCs, mm -hmm. simplified form. Then I have one called the power of a living trust that talks about my living trust, how I structured it, reading the Rockefeller Trust. So you get all that information. You get a year's mentorship sitting with me. And I do uh, uh, weekly calls and I also do quarterly calls. And I teach my, mentor, my mentees in the ranks to become educators. That's the thing. I highlight them. I teach them to become educators, educators, teach the class, because I need them to start their own mentorship so they can now teach people. All right. So very, you impressed me, especially with your knowledge on the living trust situation. And I used to actually be a financial advisor for 12 years. Oh, get out of here. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know. It's very rare that I come across somebody that's like actually, you know, very impressive with their I didn't mess up, man. No, 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 no. Troy's ready. You should already go. Stop the tape. No, no, you delivered it. You delivered it in a, in a, in a, in a high level. So you have, a, you have a very good gift of communication. Oh, man, thank you. Because that's important, especially when dealing with um, complicated issues. A lot of times, even if you know something, it's kind of hard to communicate. Yeah. And that's what stops a lot of people from learning because they feel like it's too, it's too over their head. It's too advanced. And the person really can't communicate it correctly. So they just like, you know, just stay away from it. But I, I'm a big a, a, a proponent for like online education. Yeah. Because I feel like that's where college and formal education kind of failed us. Because it's like, you're not learning these type of things. Like the trust and stuff like that. Like you're not learning that at any university. Even if you study business, they're not teaching you that. Right. So that's the stuff that you actually have to learn in the real world. And that's what I learned. Like just being in the financial planning world. These are like retreats and meetings that I was going to and they was having conversations about trust or you're on a golf course and you're talking to your friend and they're telling you about it, educating you on the space. 
But for the vast majority of people, we're not in that circle, professionally or personally, to have those conversations. The conversations that we're having is like, yo, we want to go to the club. Or even if it's a productive conversation, it's it's a conversation of like, you know, how how can you fill out your student loan application for your child? Like, you know, these are the conversations that you're having with your peers because usually people conversate on their level. So your problems, your issues are the same issues as somebody else. The crazy thing about it is that for like the vast majority, their problems are like they don't have enough money. So their problems are like, how can I get a mortgage or how can I put my kid through student loan? But some people's problems is that they have too much money. So their problems is like, how can I not pay taxes? How can I avoid a state tax? How can like, that's a problem. That's a problem. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, good one. So, expensive problem. So you end up, <laughs> yeah, so you end up communicating that and you sharing resources and you share information, but very few people actually get that information because they're not in that conversation. So now with the online education space, it's opened up, it's like a glitch in the matrix where it's opened up that what used to be a secret conversation and now it's open to the masses. And that's really life-changing on a variety of different things as far as on the investing side, real estate, of course, um, on the trust side. And the LLC, well, that, was a, that was good information as well because that's something that people don't really dig too deep in either. They, they just talk about setting up an LLC, setting up a C-Corp, S-Corp, all right, cool. But there's levels. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's levels to everything. So it, it's like, all right, you can go to high school, but... That's not a bachelor's degree. And if you get a bachelor's degree, that's not a master's degree. And a master's degree is not a doctorate degree. So you should always try to further your education because that's only that's the only thing that's really going to save you in this world. Yes. Like your education is the only thing that can save you. And that's the thing that people really learned during COVID. And this is why like even our platform really took off because it's like now you're in a space where you understand that you are not going to just go to work and think that that's going to help. Because you can't even get a job. You wasn't even able to go to work. Mm-hmm. The government at a certain point stopped giving money. Why? They gave you some stimulus, but then that stopped. So you can't rely on government to save you. And the only thing that we really have in this world is our education. Because that can't be taken away from you. Exactly. And with your education, you can always, you can always create new opportunities. Like yeah. you can give somebody a million dollars and they can blow it. And then you can have a business and you can make a million dollars and you can you could potentially mess up that bag as well. The difference is that the person that has the business has a system in place to actually get a million dollars. So his odds of doing that again is tremendously higher than somebody that just got a million dollars because they were talented or because they won the lottery. Because once that talent goes away or once the lottery goes away, you don't have systems in place to make that happen again. The systems in place it gives you a tremendously greater opportunity to make that million dollars again, even if you made mistakes. 100%. And that's what you see people that go bankrupt and then they get it right back. They fall on hard times, they get it right back because they have the information and they have the relationships. Those are the two biggest things. So I applaud, for what you, I applaud you for what you're doing and I encourage anybody that wants to further their education to um, check out your mentorship because I think that is something that is extremely beneficial and it's helpful. And like I said, it's kind of, you know, a way of higher education. And we spent $100,000 on a liberal arts degree where you're just hoping that you could potentially get a job. Good luck. Yeah. So it's like, Good luck. that's not, in, in, in today's in today's day and age, that's not really the best way to go about it. So, you know, what we do with EYL University, Earn Your Leisure, the platform, is anybody that comes on, we always try to, you know, have a special um, discount for what we call our earners. So, you know, everybody usually obliges and you were, 
you know, kind enough to to oblige to that. So thank you for that. Uh, no so what we're gonna do is um two thousand dollars off, I believe, two thousand dollars off the um the current price. And but it's a special website that we uh, set up for that. So it's EYL employedmillionaire.com because that's your that's your company employed millionaire. millionaire so we just added the EYL in front of that real simple EYL employedmillionaire.com and that's um you know Storm's mentorship and like I said that particular website there's no code or nothing you just go to that website and you get $2,000 off if you want to you know further your information and learn just probably to trust stuff alone is worth that because like I said, that's extremely valuable. Thousands. Yeah. Extremely yeah. Thousands. That's extremely valuable. But then when you add the real estate and the LLC and the weekly calls, um, you know, it's something that if you want to invest in your education, I would strong strongly consider you do that. So once again, it's EYL employed millionaire.com and that is for two thousand dollars off of the mentorship program. Um, but before we leave I want you to just speak to the people that are currently employed right now, yes. trying to figure it out. Um, they're working at nine to five. They know that they want to do more with their life, but they just haven't really been able to kind of, you know, figure that part out yet. And they might be frustrated. They might not, you know, because you was once in that position. Um, and Troy, you might even want to add to this yeah. as well, because you was uh, once in that position as well. What what can you tell the people that are, are in that position right now? I, I'll just add to it because I know like how much passion is about to come out because we sat in these positions yes. and we sat at the table and we had lunch with these people who really didn't understand it until you tell them like, this is not, this is it. Like, you're not going to see me if I, if I get to this point. And so like, even when you went to work that last day, they're like, nah, I know you're coming back or like, Hey, you're going to leave your pension on the table or Hey, you know, we're going to get uh, re- reimbursed for the, the years that we were in the contract. And I'm like, <laughs> keep all that. Like we got a bigger vision. So I want you to talk to those people. Like if this was your colleague who was advertising with you or the teachers who were working with me at the time, what's the advice that you want to give them? Man, uh, the key thing is I'm able to give advice for those who are willing to listen. Um, I always say investing is a song that when you start singing it, even the people that know, don't know the words will start humming along with you. So I can sing the, the praises of what it takes, become an investor, do this at the job, do this. But if you know you're listening to this right now and you have to go to work, key thing is don't try to sing the same song to those people at work. You have to get yourself in a room of like-minded people, join mentorships with people that are like you. Now, you may not know the words, but guess what? You're going to hum with those people. In a couple of weeks, you're going to start learning the lyrics. Mm -hmm. You're going to start learning the lingo. You're going to start learning how to invest. You're going to start learning, and that changes you. But while you're going to work, you must always guard your escape route. Guard that plan. Guard what you're doing because there's just some people that's not going to get it. The job is not your enemy. You are your own enemy. When we sit down with our job and we actually signed on to take that job, the job had a plan. The plan was to underpay you so you can overperform. But what we sat down, we sat down and said, great, I'm on board and I'm going to take that paycheck and only pay bills. That was the problem. We needed to say, okay, I'm going to take that paycheck, pay bills, but I'm going to take a portion and I'm going to leave. If my job would have known the plan I had with that money that they were giving me, they would have said, don't give him no overtime. Cut his, cut his hours short. Suspend him. Do anything but let him free. But it's the mind psyche because think about this. Even when we're young, we wake up, 
We go to school. Certain time, we go to lunch. We go back to the classroom. The bell goes off. We go home. We wake up in the morning. I always call school work for kids. Mm-hmm. It's prepping them. And then when it's over, now you graduate, find a job, wake up in the morning, go have lunch. The bell rings. See, it's a mental prep, so it's hard to break that. But when you start thinking about, when you start thinking about your generation and the kids that you can't see and what you're leaving from them, you really move different in this world. I tell you, once I understood that my life needs to expand beyond what I'm doing now and leave something for them, man, I was moving like I ain't have no tomorrow. I was moving like I didn't have no tomorrow. And to all my fellas out there and all the ladies who getting this information, I want you to understand that you must give this information to your wife and your children and not hoard it for yourself and say, I got it all worked out. My family's straight. Because when you pass away and you don't leave them the keys to the safe, they locked out. They don't know about trust. They don't know about with life insurance policies. They don't know nothing. Because you said to yourself, I got them and they straight. You want them to be straight? Sit down with the lawyers. Give them the information. Give them all the codes. Tell them the plan you had and how to keep it going. That's my message, brother. I know I get carried away. Nah, it's the audacity of hope, right? So somebody's seeing you in this position now, they know what you've been through. I always tell, like, I used to sit down with my colleagues and I'm like, what's the plan? Everybody complains about being here. What's the plan to leave? What's the plan to leave, right? And so the year I got tenure was the year I resigned. Mm. So like for most people, they're like, wait, we believe in you. They're putting their trust in you. They're saying that this is something that they're investing in you long-term. I'm like, that really isn't a guarantee for me. Like I, my, my mindset was never, and again, it's big on mindset. It was, my mindset was never, I'm going to work here 25 years and retire. My mindset was like, what's the fastest way for me to not be here anymore? Exactly. How do I replace myself here? How do I duplicate? Because it was one thing watching my father work for 42 years and not being able to guarantee me an interview at his job. So I'd imagine myself working here 25 years and not allowing my kids to even have an interview or even be thought of in consideration to have a position there. And it was like, well, if I'm working for this place and I'm spending more time here than with my children. What am I really leaving them? Exactly. And so it was the mindset. It was like, all right, here's the plan. And so exactly, when they gave me tenure, in my mind, I was like, I'm not gonna be here much longer. You know what I mean? But it's the belief, and it's the belief too. Like you can feel it in the passion you speak with. Yeah. This is a certain level of conviction that you have and that everybody has to have if they want to make that plan. And like you said, it's not going to be for everybody, but seeing yourself, seeing myself, seeing Rashad and plenty of others, it's like, oh, it can be done. And so that's why we call this like the financial evolution because it is, we can't, we can't measure impact. We don't know what they're going to do with the information, but hopefully they don't hoard it, they share it and they apply it. Yep. That's it, man. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Jeez. Powerful episode. Thank you for that. I'm sure a lot of people will gain a lot of insight like I said at the beginning, education, but also from the motivation standpoint as well. And they're both needed and they're both uh, very, very necessary. So appreciate that, brother. Man, I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah. And um, it's been, uh, for me, it felt like forever. Yeah. And <laughs> I always knew there was a platform and a stage for me to actually speak. And I'm glad that it's here and it's now. And um, the timing was right. You know what I mean? I felt like it was 30 years or something inside of me to be here to speak to the world on this level. And now it happened. And I want to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. Allow me to speak to the people. No, I appreciate well, it. How can they follow you with your social media handle? Um, you can go to I am Storm Leroy on Instagram. You'll find me there. Avoid them fake ones. You can type <laughs> in employed millionaire. It'll pop up also and you'll find me.
You haven't. Troy, housekeeping items? Yeah, shout out to everybody on Patreon.com. Shout out to all of our earners in EYL University. Shout out to the merch team. And shout out to, to Storm. Because like I said, you're the first person who I said the seat is waiting for you. And now you're here. And so there's a bunch of people out there who we've probably had the same conversation. But it's happened. And so like you're going to be the first of many. So I appreciate you for coming and sharing your wealth of knowledge, man. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Nothing happens before it's time. So I'm happy today was a day. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you guys for rocking with us. We'll see you next week. Peace. Peace. Always seek knowledge. (laughs) It's a wrap for Storm Leroy. My graduates from my school being Forbes. Backdrop. Backdrop. (laughs) A mic drop. Backdrop. Backdrop. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.